The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Continuing to study the book of Leviticus, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Leviticus chapter 23. We are looking at the first few verses of Leviticus 23 this morning. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Let's now give attention as God himself speaks to us in his holy and inspired word. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, there are many cultures throughout history and even across the world right now. But one of the things that is common among All cultures is setting aside special time, holy days or holidays as we call them. They exist in every culture, everywhere, at every in every time. Now, in our current American culture, there's a there's less of an emphasis on the meaning and solemnity of these holy days. In our culture, it really tends to be about taking a break for our pleasure, indulging in our pleasures, and being able to kind of do what we want. So, for example, Thanksgiving is really not about giving thanks. It's about the food. It's about the turkey. It's about the stuffing. It's about family and football, things we enjoy. The 4th of July is about blowing up the biggest fireworks. Now, actually here in Wyoming, more than any place I've lived, there seems to be more focus of what that holiday is about. But in my hometown of Omaha, Nebraska, it was a war zone until about midnight with uh, gigantic fireworks uh, blowing up everywhere. And Christmas has become more of about presents. The emphasis is on the presents, hence the crazy crowds on Black Friday trying to get the best deals. This is why we have an adage in our culture, don't forget the reason for the season. And so in our culture, the culture we live in, the air we breathe, we do tend to focus on ourselves. It's about our self-indulgent more than it is about the reason for the Holy Day. Why is it set apart? Why is it special? What are we celebrating? Now, I say this not to change your perspective during Thanksgiving or to make you think differently when you celebrate Christmas. The reason I bring this up is for our mindset and what we're about ready to dive into. And that is Israel's Holy Days. Leviticus 23 is a list of Israel's holy days. And these are special times that they take in light of something special God has done. There's solemnity, there's honor, 
honor, there's special recognition with these. And these are times for a holy convocation, as it says in our text. A convocation is a gathering, an assembly. This is what typically happens on holidays, isn't it? For example, with Memorial Day, there's usually some sort of special ceremony that happens at the Capitol or Veterans Day where people gather together to recognize something. And that's what's going on here in Leviticus chapter 23. We see these are all observed in light of God's work of redemption for them in either bringing them out of the land of Egypt in producing fruit among them or in where he is bringing them to in that promised land. And as we will see, these are pictures of God's work of our spiritual redemption in Christ. Now, with the coming of Christ, we do not observe these old covenant ceremonies any longer except for one. And that is the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath is what is first mentioned here in our passage as the head. Our difficulty, however, is twofold. One, again, we have lost the meaning of holy days in our culture. It's about our indulgence rather than about observing something special. Additionally, since about the 1960s, the fourth commandment has probably been one of the most disregarded commandments in our American culture. And as Pastor Tim was reading James chapter 4, talking about worldliness, this is one of the ways that worldliness has infiltrated into the church today where we follow the culture in forsaking the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment has become fourth option in our mind and really is arrogant in to stand over God's law as if we are the judge of his law. Now, there's several reasons for this. It used to be part of our culture that everything was closed. You talk to anyone who uh, lived back before the 1960s, they'll say absolutely everything was closed. Until the NFL decided to start playing their games on Sunday, and Montgomery Ward started to open for business on Sundays. And this started to open the floodgates for many activities uh, on Sundays. It wasn't too long after that that American evangelical and Baptist theologians began to teach that the Sabbath day no longer exists. Now, in Reformed denominations, they've uh, remained uh, faithful to their confessions and uh, they have held to the Sabbath, but not in evangelicalism and Baptist circles. We're told it's only a Jewish thing. It's only Old Covenant. It's only for the Jews even though if you read the second chapter of Genesis, before there were Jews, before there was Moses, before there was giving of the law, there was a day set aside before even sin entered into the world. It's denied as a creation ordinance, and, it has, and we were told it's been fulfilled in Christ. Christ is our Sabbath rest, and so we fulfill the Sabbath by simply resting in Him and doing whatever we want to do. Another difficulty with this is the legalism that has run rampant in the church. Now, legalism is not obedience to God, even though it may be hard. 
When Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Taking up one's cross was not easy. It was hard. It was torturous even. It was vivid imagery of really dying to self. And so we should expect at times Jesus is going to call us to do things that are difficult that we don't want to do. So just because something's difficult, just because something there's something that we don't want to do, does not mean it's legalism. Rather, legalism is when somebody says, you should do this when God hasn't said it. It's to say, thus says the Lord, where God has not spoken. It's to obey the doctrines and commandments of men rather than of God. So it's not legalistic to say, don't lust, don't be bitter, even though it's hard. But it is legalistic to say, hey, you need to be a part of my group on Tuesday afternoon or uh, God, uh, you should feel guilty. The question is, did it come from God's word? Now, here's the here's one of the issues with legalism in the church today. It's blurred the distinction between what God commands and what man has made up. One of the things you may have heard is you need to be there every time the church doors are open. You heard that before? So Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning at 6 a.m. Make it 5 a.m. if you want to be really spiritual. It's all the same. And you should feel guilty if you are not there. And so these rules that get added on, that are imposed, that make you feel guilty, where man has not explained why these rules are there from Scripture, starts to get lumped in even with the Lord's Day. And so this makes us suspicious of any requirement that seems new to us. And the fact that the fourth commandment has been terribly disregarded since the 1960s, and we step into this culture, we don't really know the history. It sounds legalistic. I've never heard this before, even though there are ten commandments and not nine. If you press me on it, or the, you keep the nine commandments, well, I think there's ten, if I remember correctly. But what about the fourth commandment? And so the question is whether or not God truly commands it, not whether or not man commands it. And if God commands it, we are obligated to keep it. And as if we're Christians, we're going to want to do His will, even though the flesh is going to rise up. And so this is what I want to do, is spend the next few weeks showing from God's Word why there's Ten Commandments. That is why the Fourth Commandment still remains under the New Covenant. And I want to spend some time, in, in, not, not today, this is going to take a few weeks, but as we go along, to answer a number of objections and questions you might have, such as, why do I keep the fourth commandment when it explicitly says that it's the last day of the week, and here I am at the first day of the week? Why is that? Or what about passages such as Romans 14, which says every day is alike? What about that? Well, we'll get there. Or how do I figure out what I can't or can't do? You know, what if I have to work? Uh, what if my car breaks down, uh, what if there is uh, a work of mercy? We will talk about that as we go along. Today, what I want to show is that there are four proofs 
that the fourth commandment remains. And the first is this, really the unity of the law. And so we're going to be jumping around different passages of Scripture, but turn over to James chapter 2. I want you to see James chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. The unity of the law, where you really can't just isolate one commandment from the rest without doing damage to the whole law. So James chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, which says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So we see a failure to keep the law at one point makes you guilty of keeping all of it. It's kind of like trying to break a window or a mirror at one point. If I just hit this one point, what's going to happen? Well, likely the whole thing is going to shatter, and that's the way it is with the law. And James uses this example uh, from a couple of these commandments where he says, if we do not commit adultery but do murder, we have broken the law, period. It holds us guilty for all of it. And even though James just uses these two commandments, the seventh and sixth commandment here, doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to the rest. As if to say, it only applies to these two. It, but if you do commit idolatry, uh, then that's okay. You haven't broken uh, the whole law. Rather, James does not need to go through each one in order to establish his point. But this reveals an unbreakable unity in the law where to violate one is to violate all. They are so tied together that you cannot disregard one commandment without disregarding the whole law. You can't throw aside one commandment really without throwing aside it all because the law is a unified whole. So you can't just pick one out, isolate it as if it's not unbreakably connected to the whole law. The law remains the law. God's moral law remains what it is. So you can't just scratch one out without doing injustice to the whole thing. A second proof that the fourth commandment remains today is that the law is based on the nature of the Creator. I want you to think for a moment about this question. Why did God give this law? Why these Ten Commandments? Did God one day just up in heaven say, oh, what laws do I want to give my creatures? Uh, do not murder. Yeah, that, that sounds good. That might work. Let's, let's give that a shot. Just arbitrarily, just give them some commandments. Don't murder, don't steal. You know, doesn't matter. It's just arbitrary. Or, is this based on his moral, righteous character? That the law is a reflection of who God is, is righteous and holy. When we say that God is righteous, we are not attributing to Him some standard or concept that exists apart from or outside of God to which He conforms Himself or must always conform Himself. Uh, righteousness is not defined by something other than God. 
righteousness is defined by who God is. So it's not the other way around where God is defined by righteousness, some separate standard to which God conforms Himself that's always existed. Rather, righteousness is defined by who God is. You want to know what righteousness is? You look at God. He defines righteousness by who He is in Himself. So God's law as the standard of righteousness, what defines right and wrong, is based on God's eternal, unchangeable, and righteous character. And that is why this standard of righteousness, this moral law, does not change, but ever remains the same because what is righteous does not change. Because God, who is righteous, does not change. So, for example, the first commandment, have no other gods before me. Well, this is so because it is right to be completely devoted to God as God. And so God does not give His glory to another. Why does God not give His glory to another? Is it because He's selfish? He's a glory hog? Or is it because it's right for God to be glorified because He is God? Or the second commandment, make no images. Why is that? Well, God told His people in Deuteronomy why that was. He goes, when I spoke to you, you did not see any form. Therefore, you don't make any images because God is invisible. God does not have a body, therefore we do not make representations of Him. Or the third commandment, God does not take His name in vain. God does not regard His name lightly. God glorifies and magnifies His name in all the earth. Is it right for you to magnify and glorify your name? No. Why? Because you're not God. But God, since He is God, it is right for His name to be honored and glorified. And so He honors and glorifies His name. Therefore, that is what is right for us to do. I can go on. The sixth commandment, God is the giver and preserver of life. Therefore, we do not take life except in cases of capital punishment or in defense of life. But God is truth. There is no lie in him. Therefore, the ninth commandment, we are to tell the truth. I hope you're getting the gist, the, the gist here. So what about the fourth commandment? Well, the Sabbath is about special recognition and honor and setting aside time to do so. This is the expression of that in our creation. And we do this all the time in society. For, for example, again, Memorial Day, setting aside some time in special recognition of those who gave their life for our country, usually involving a special ceremony. Setting aside time that has happened in every culture since the beginning is one way, one right way to recognize someone or something special. Well, this is what the Sabbath day is. It is showing special recognition to God for his finished work, because that is what is right. Just like it is right to show recognition and honor to parents and those in authority, 
It is right to show special honor and recognition to somebody's special work. And that is what the Sabbath day is about. And how did God do this? How did God demonstrate that his work was special? How do you show something to be special? Well, one of the ways is setting aside time. God rested on, rested on the seventh day to demonstrate this. Now, if you think that God rested because he needed a breather or a break, you're thinking like a pagan. God does not need rest. But he set aside this special time, a moment of silence, if you will, a day of silence to draw attention to his finished work of creation. That's what Genesis 2 says. It says God finished his work. Therefore, God rested. God set aside this time in special recognition of it. He hallowed this day. All activities stopped for a moment of reflection and recognition of His finished work. The seventh day Sabbath was showing special recognition in light of God's work of creation, His finished work of creation. As we, and as we will see, the first day of the week, Sabbath, is to show special recognition and honor of God's finished work of new creation or redemption with the resurrection of Christ. We will get there later on. But this is what God wants from us weekly, not annually. As His image bearers, who are to image Him, who are to reflect Him, just as God works, we are to work. Just as God rested, we are to rest. We are to Follow our Creator in this pattern. So God's law is based on who He is. God worked. God rested. We as His image bearers do the same. Now a third proof that the fourth commandment is perpetual and binding today is that the law is based on the nature of creation. These commandments, the law of God, really are the very fabric of creation. Uh, can you imagine what life would be like without these commandments? Uh, what, would, what would it be like if it was all right to murder? If it was all right to commit adultery? If it was all right to steal or lie? I know there's some parts of our country where you can go and experience that uh, yourself, but it looks like chaos and disorder, doesn't it? What causes a place to descend into chaos and disorder? What needs to happen except setting aside the order that God has established in His creation? And even though God did not give His law and Ten Commandments on tablets of stone until after Israel came out of Egypt, yet we, we see very much that God's law is established from the beginning. Why did God curse Cain for murdering his brother Abel? In Genesis 4, well before the Ten Commandments were given on, t on tablets of stone. Why did God wipe out the world in a flood? God just having a bad day? No, now that I think about it, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm just going to wipe you out. Just kind of whimsical, capricious. Just, eh, don't, don't like you today. Don't like what you're doing. Uh, why Sodom and Gomorrah? Why fire? Uh, rain down from heaven on those cities. Again, God just having a bad day? 
Or is there a standard by which God judges the whole world? Well, we see that this standard, according to Romans 2, 14 through 15, is written on the hearts of all image bearers. It's inscribed on the conscience. We can't think that the law only existed once it got written down in stones. Rather, this moral law has always existed, even from the foundation of creation as part of the very fabric of creation. Well, the Sabbath was created, was established at creation. We read in Genesis 2 that God set aside one day in seven to be kept holy unto him. This is a pattern that is embedded in creation that goes all the way back to to the beginning. Setting aside one day in seven as a holy day of holy rest, observing the Lord's work. This is what's called a creation ordinance. A creation ordinance is something that is ordained or established as creation as part of the fabric or DNA of creation. Therefore, it is permanent. It remains as long as this creation remains. The other creation ordinances are marriage and labor. And you could add into that gender and uh, family. Uh, marriage hasn't changed despite man's attempts to redefine it. Why is that? Why can't man change that? Man tries to, but why can't he? Well, it's because it's something that God designed and established at creation as part of the creation ordinance. One man, one woman for life. Now, sometimes you'll hear people say that, well, we don't keep the Sabbath or the fourth commandment because Christ is our Sabbath rest. Uh, it's fulfilled in Christ. Well, Christ is also our husband, it says in Scripture. And we're his bride. Why do we still get married then if Christ is our husband? You see, by that same lo- people don't follow that same logic when it comes to marriage, because marriage is still a creation ordinance, so we still participate in it, despite Christ clearly being said to be our husband in Scripture. Well, Christ indeed uh, is our Sabbath rest, and that we rest from our works righteousness in order to rest in His work and His righteousness for us. But setting aside one day in seven is still part of the creation that we live in, and so we still observe it. So because the Sabbath, like marriage and labor, is a creation ordinance, it remains as long as this creation remains part of the fabric of creation, regardless of what the culture says. We follow the Word of God and not the culture in rejecting His creation ordinances. A fourth and final proof that the fourth commandment remains perpetual is, again, the reason for it. So I want to end where I started. That it's a holy day. It's a holiday. The Sabbath is in honor of God's work. While the Sabbath was made for man, it is not about man. We see this in Genesis 2, 2 through 3. We want to turn there. Genesis 2, 2 through 3 says, And the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see the reason why God set aside one day in seven. He blessed it. He hallowed it. He made it holy. That is, 
He set it apart as distinct, as not like the rest, which is what it means to be holy. This day is not like the rest of the days, but it's because of His finished work of creation. And so this is a moment of silence, if you will. This is a a day of silence, a day of holy rest, recognition of our Creator's work. This is the basis for the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. After God tells His people to keep the Sabbath holy, He gives this reason. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is the reason for His people keeping the commandments in light of His finished work in an imaging Him. Now, if a day was set aside for God's finished work of creation, then how much more for God's finished work of new creation or redemption? It was on the evening of the sixth day that there was morning, there is evening, and it is finished, that God finished His work. It is finished on the evening of the sixth day, followed by a seventh day of just rest. Well, it was also on the evening of the sixth day that Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished, where He finished His work of redemption. Then both days followed with a day of rest, no activity. Sometimes it's called Silent Saturday. And then on the first day of the week, the day after the seventh day of creation week, sometimes referred to as the eighth day in Scripture, in the the Old Testament, Jesus was raised to a new life, inaugurating the new creation, the life that comes after this life the life of the world to come, the life that follows this creation. And how did God represent this? By having the day after the seventh day, after this creation week, set aside, which would be the first day of the week, in order to depict the life of the world to come, the life that comes after this life, the new creation that our Lord Jesus Christ has secured for us in His resurrection. So if God hallowed a day in recognition of of His finished work of creation, then how much more for His finished work of redemption, a new creation? If God declaring it is finished in the evening of the sixth day at creation merited a holy day of observance, then how much more our Lord Jesus Christ in agony calling out, it is finished to save us from our sin and to bring us new life, having borne the wrath of God for us, but rising victorious again to bring us to our new home. And in fact, Deuteronomy 5.15 gives this as a reason for the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. It says there, Keep the Sabbath because I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Being brought out of the land of Egypt is called the redemption. Well, that is a picture of a greater redemption, of our redemption, 
being brought out of our old life of slavery in a kingdom more powerful than us and into a new life with God through the blood of a Passover lamb. So whereas Exodus 20 says that they are to keep the Sabbath because of creation, Deuteronomy 5 says they are to keep the Sabbath because of redemption. And if Israel was to keep the Sabbath for a typological, physical redemption, then how much more we who have received an eternal redemption? And this is what question 115 of our Baptist Catechism brings out when it says, if Israel, the natural seed of Abraham, was to keep the seventh day to keep up the remembrance of their deliverance out of temporal bondage, how much more are we bound to keep the first day in remembrance of Christ's deliverance of us from eternal bondage? There is no greater reason to have a holy day than our redemption in the resurrection of Christ. There's no greater reason for setting aside a whole day than the finished work of Christ who conquered sin and death for us by His death and resurrection, bringing us out of this world and into His marvelous light. And this is also practice, a dress rehearsal, if you will, for what's to come. What happens when we go to heaven? We set aside this world for eternity to be in the presence of God with His people to worship Him. What do we do on this day? We set aside this world to come into His presence with His saints to worship Him. If you desire heaven, you will desire this. If you desire this world more, the world will be more important to you and you will set aside this day for the world because you're in love with this world. But there is no greater reason to set aside a holy day than our redemption, than Christ's suffering, than Christ dying for us, Christ paying for our sins, and Christ rising again. There is no greater reason than this. And so may we be diligent to set aside this world and the culture, follow his world, follow his word in recovering the Christian holy day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I know for maybe many of us in here this is new, and this is hard because we have settled into a pattern of living for this world, and it's hard to hear that. Uh, there's a day that, that belongs to you, but really it is a blessing. You have given it to us, especially in a world that's gone crazy, in a world that uh, lives for the indulgences of the flesh. We need a breather. We need to set aside this world and all the bad news and the curse and, and everything that comes with it in order to delight in your word, to hear from you to be transformed into the image of Christ, to hear of our forgiveness, to hear of our requirement to follow You, to be blessed by You. We ask that You would help us to do this and ask that You would help us as we continue to study these things. That we would not be worldly, that, that we would be good followers of Christ, having been delivered out of this world 
and brought into the privilege of being with you forever. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.